Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. This podcast is brought to you by Walmart Canada and Novo Nordisk Canada. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for joining Gail and I today for our podcast. We are joined by two wonderful guest speakers today who are going to give us quite a lot of insights into diabetes, particularly in Indigenous communities. Our first speaker is Rebecca Sovdi, who is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator with many years of experience in diabetes care and management and First Nations public health. She lives on the unceded territory of the Kuatsan people in Cowichan Valley on Vancouver Island. She grew up in the Treaty 4 and Treaty 2 areas of southeastern Saskatchewan and has German, Dutch, French ancestry. Rebecca graduated with a bachelor's degree in nutrition from the University of Saskatchewan and master's in public health from the University of Waterloo. Rebecca believes that all people living with diabetes deserve high quality care and respect and the opportunity to live life fully and meaningfully in the way that they decide. She has been honored to spend the duration of her career thus far working in Indigenous health, learning how to become an ally. Rebecca is a co-founder of Idea Diabetes and provides consultation and education services to improve diabetes outcomes and advance the care and management of diabetes through a model of empowerment. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. And then we also have Rachel Dickens. She was born and raised in Prince Rupert, BC. She is of mixed ancestry and is a member of the Qualams Band on her father's side, Shimshian Nation on about 30 kilometers north of Prince Rupert by boat. Her mother immigrated to these homelands from Hong Kong in the 1970s, and Rachel loves the fusions of traditional coastal First Nations foods with the Asian flavors she grew up with. She now has the honor of living and working on the unceded and ancestral homelands of the Tlaoquiat First Nation, colonial known as Tofino. She works alongside the Nuchalnuth peoples as a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator and is currently employed by the Nuchalnuth Tribal Council. She recognizes that diabetes was rare in Indigenous communities prior to the 1940s and that the loss of land Legacy of residential schools, displacement, trauma, and racist policies have contributed to the disproportionate representation of diabetes. As an advocate for food sovereignty and social justice, she hopes to raise awareness around and dismantle some of the colonial and anti-Indigenous racist policies that impact Indigenous people's health. Thank you so much. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for inviting me here today. Let's start out with that topic that we just touched on at the end there about this disproportionate representation of diabetes in Indigenous populations. Rebecca, are you able to give us some insights into this high prevalence of diabetes and the factors that you think are contributing? For sure. There seems to be uh, some misunderstanding, I think, and and a lot of uh, look at the way the impact that behaviors have in diabetes. And, and we're not really looking enough at the context in which people live and the impact over time that colonialism and trauma 
and stress and poverty have on the body. All of those things, colonialism, uh, trauma, racism, are extremely stressful situations and have been for Indigenous people in Canada ongoing for hundreds of years now. And we can really look at both the, that big picture context in terms of um, what has happened and then relate it down to the physiology of what's happening inside the body and how that chronic stress and that intergenerational impact can, can start to, uh, from a physiological perspective, increase insulin resistance, which leads to uh, a need for the pancreas to work harder um, and other things like that. So we really want to, um, you know, there seems to be a lot of a look at the reasons why, uh, you know, food, for example, seems to be the, both the cause of and the solution to all of, pro all of life's problems when it comes to diabetes. And I think that we can really start to look a bit deeper than that. Thanks. I think that's a wonderful insight. And maybe perhaps we can touch on this idea of looking at diabetes care through this trauma-informed lens that considers the um, uh, traumas of colonialism and racism and intergenerational trauma. Uh, Rebecca, do you have any thoughts on that concept? For sure. I think that when we think about um, using a trauma-informed lens and working with, and not just Indigenous people, with all people, there are so many people that have experienced some form of trauma throughout their life. And really what it comes down to, I think when you're working with individuals with diabetes or anybody for that matter, is um, spending more time listening than talking and treating everybody with the respect that they deserve and letting them guide what's important to them in the context of what they're meeting with you about. Um, you know, it, in a one hour diabetes meeting, if you open the floor by saying, how are things going? And just be willing to listen to everything that, that is important to them and what's going on in their lives and understanding that um, their diabetes doesn't happen in isolation of away from everything else, that the experiences that they've had throughout their lives and what's happening with their families and um, what's happening financially in their lives and um, what's happening with their job or with school or all of those other things have such an important influence. And really implying, applying a trauma-informed lens is, is, is just being open to understanding that they are a whole person and, and, and listening and, and respecting what they deserve. I think that's some great insights and, and really is applicable to every patient encounter in all contexts as well. Um, Rachel, perhaps you can talk a little bit about communication styles and how we can make sure that our communication is accessible and open, particularly when working with Indigenous peoples. Yes, thank you. And, and thank you, Rebecca, for all of that. Um, and I, I do want to add, you know, with that trauma-informed lens, that relational practice piece is really important. So um, just building off what Rebecca mentioned. So, you know, spending that quality time with somebody and asking those questions and really building and forming a meaningful relationship with them. I think that's extremely important when you're working with um, Indigenous peoples. And also in the spirit of reciprocity, also considering uh, sharing something about yourself, which can help to build trust. So share who you are and where you came from. Knowing that location is very important for Indigenous peoples, um, this can help them place you in their web of relations and connections. 
And in terms of communication styles, I think, you know, probably with, you know, all communication styles, practice active listening, that's extremely important and being comfortable sitting in the silence. So that's something that I actually see quite often um, healthcare practitioners, you know, really kind of feeling rushed and, and really want to get their information out there. So sometimes there can be a lot of interrupting and that's not only seen as being quite rude, but also can um, prevent us from really hearing the full story of, of someone's diabetes journey. Um, so listen, don't interrupt and acknowledge the importance of silence. That's wonderful. And I think absolutely kind of respecting where someone's coming from and their history. Um, I think that's incredibly important to opening that communication. And I think many different aspects interplay with health in Indigenous community. I know there's a lot of role for traditional healers. And, and how can we acknowledge the importance of those traditional beliefs and healing strategies in these healthcare interactions? Yeah, thank you. So conventional diabetes, um, I agree, mostly focuses on the physical aspects of health, but in Indigenous worldviews, we can't only focus on that one domain and disregard the others. So the others being the spiritual, emotional, and mental aspects of health. So we really need to have a holistic view and approach to health. Um, and so our role as healthcare providers is to firstly recognize and acknowledge where someone is at with their overall health journey and create space for healing. And this might mean not only focusing on the numbers and targets, but rather listening and offering support as they need it. And, you know, for me and my work in community, we are so privileged to have access to traditional healers in the community um, and they can support, um, you know, the the person living with diabetes in ways that we as um, um, healthcare providers can't. And I will just mention that um, one of the elders in the house it, one of the communities I work in, Dave Frank, who is a traditional healer with U'Ushtakyu, has shared with me that um, on the diagnosis of diabetes, you know, their belief is that the spirit is shattered. And so traditional healers have an extremely important role in helping to put this back together. Thank you. That's a wonderful insight. And thinking even more about kind of life and daily life and the impacts of this diabetes diagnosis, I, I would imagine has a really big impact on the role of food um, in daily life, right? Eating meals and sharing food together is central to community and family. Um, how can we better understand the role of food and that relationship with food for Indigenous peoples? Maybe uh, Rebecca, I'll hand that to you. That's a really good question, Sarah. And I think that uh, society is very wrapped up in, in diet culture and this, uh, this concept around what's healthy and what's unhealthy and uh, decisions around food and, and eating in a certain way for the sake of health potentially and for the sake of um, weight often, that there is very much a connection between the expectation of the way people eat and the way that their bodies look. And we know that people eat for so many different reasons, that there's so much influence on what they eat beyond their food choices. So they eat for cultural reasons and they eat for, you know, related to celebration. And uh, there's intergenerational impacts in terms of both, you know, in utero influence and the way that people have preferences, as well as those, the, the uh, cultural foods that are passed down over time. There's also um, where people live and the, 
um, how much money they have. And there's so many different influences about what people eat. And, and we've tended to really um, to minimize that and, and understanding the value of food for people. And when it comes to diabetes, I think that we really want to be supporting people to continue to eat everything that they, they enjoy and just supporting a, a connection between the understanding of food and blood sugars and never really from the expectation. And this sounds very bold, but from the expectation that they're not actually changing anything and that they're using blood glucose monitoring and using other things to make sure that their diabetes can actually fit with their food as opposed to the other way around. And yeah, thank you, Rebecca. And I think I, I just want to add that um, in my experience, you know, I've heard many healthcare professionals and academics advocating for Indigenous peoples to go back to their traditional diet for diabetes management. And I feel like this kind of stereotyping um, to some degree can be quite harmful. Um, you know, I kind of relate it to when animal activists were telling Indigenous peoples that they could only hunt whale using their traditional methods you know, with canoes and spears. And so, you know, basically saying they should be stopped in time. So this romanticization around um, the, you know, traditional indigenous person um, can be dangerous and allow society to think lesser of indigenous peoples who are adapting to the modern society. And we do this because we have to, um, to survive. And so the time and resources that it takes to harvest and prepare and preserve our traditional foods we used to have a whole village that could help support that. And, and now we don't. And then of course, there's the loss of lands, climate change, unsustainable fishing, harvesting, hunting practices, and the stripping of our lands of natural resources with no compensation back to the nations. So I think it's important that we consider all of these factors when we're um, speaking to indigenous peoples about you know, food and nutrition. And I just hope that um, you know, after listening to this, um, us as healthcare providers can approach this topic in an informed way. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for those insights. And we have some guidance now that I think we can look to and how we move forward. Um, there are calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and recommendations stemming from the In Plain Sight report. Can you speak a little bit to how we can incorporate these concepts and guidance into our diabetes care? Sure, I'd be happy to start with that one. It's, you know, as a non-Indigenous person working in this space, I think it's really important to acknowledge that um, it is not the responsibility of Indigenous people or those that have experienced colonialism or racism to educate non-Indigenous people or, uh, you know, um, uh, others about these important roles that we we are very much responsible for educating ourselves and going out, going after this information. And there are some great resources out there, such as the TRC calls to action. And, you know, I think we're about six or seven years into the, after the release of those, and there are not that many that have been completed. So we, we all can um, do our part in, in understanding the calls to action and responding to them. And there's a few that are specific to healthcare and education and beyond. Um, in BC, where Rachel and I both live, there is that very important report of the In Plain Sight, which um, looked very deeply into racism experienced by Indigenous people in the healthcare system. And uh, if you haven't checked that one out, it is, it is important. Um, it is, it's, it's a difficult read. 
because um, it's very much a part of the healthcare system that, that we all work within. Um, but there's some recommendations that we can do moving forward. There's another one too that uh, I think is an important one and that's the U United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Um, there's lots of great resources out there. So go, go forward with curiosity and, um, and, and find some great information for yourself. Absolutely. Maybe Rachel, do you have final thoughts on how we can work as allies and anti-racism advocates uh, as non-Indigenous or other uh, healthcare providers? How, how can we become an ally and help to break mm. down these stereotypes and racist policies? Mm, thank you. Um, I think kind of to build off what Rebecca mentioned, another great resource you know, is the clinical practice guidelines for Diabetes Canada. It is the last chapter, but it is a great chapter, um, especially the practical tips for healthcare providers caring for Indigenous peoples. It really lays out um, and acknowledges the legacy of colonization and its ongoing adverse effects on Indigenous people's health, and also really builds up the importance of connection to culture and traditional worldviews um, to support somebody in their, their diabetes journey. Um, I also just want to say that I think as healthcare providers, we need to acknowledge that we know that we know very little about health and diabetes. You know, we were trained by westernized institutions in a very Eurocentric way of thinking and also be okay with not knowing everything and creating space for different ways of knowing and being in the world. And how I do that in my practice is I try to hold up knowledge keepers and traditional wellness practitioners in the communities. Um, and for me, that's really what holistic health looks like. And that's really what we need to be doing to support Indigenous peoples on their health journey. Thank you so much, Rebecca and Rachel. These are wonderful thoughts and perspectives that I think we can all take back. Gail, now that we've had this conversation, what do you think you can take back to clinic tomorrow to really help us in our care of individuals with diabetes from Indigenous backgrounds? Wow, thank you, Rebecca and Rachel. That was really informative. Um, I really liked the way you started out talking about the effects of, of colonization and how this has a, a, the trauma lens that we should be looking through. And the idea, a couple of points you sort of shared about the fact that the Indigenous people are interested in location. Because sometimes when we share about ourselves, we feel we shouldn't be doing that, but thank you for that tidbit. And the other thing you said about the spirit is shattered with the diagnosis and how we need to be working with the traditional healers um, together. And I, I like to what you said, Rachel, about the romanticization around the tradition and the fact that we can't go back, but what does the future look like? And we need to be building that together. And Rebecca, thank you for all the resources. I wrote them all down, okay? <laughs> and we're gonna be doing in plain sight. We're gonna be looking at the United Nations and the guidelines. And I love your comment, Rebecca. Go forward with curiosity, okay? And it is not the indigenous people's responsibility to educate us, it's us to educate ourselves. And I love that talk. Thank you. It was really, really informative. <laughs> Appreciate your comments. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rebecca and Rachel, for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you Thank so much. You, Sarah and Gail. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast. 